God is so good. Well, tonight we are kicking off a campaign we're calling God Bless America. And as you can see, we're sporting the gear and you can grab some in the lobby. And really what this is, is at our church, we believe that Jesus is our king and all of our hope is in him. But we believe you can love Jesus and your country at the same time. And while it's really popular to bash our nation and hate on your country and point out all the imperfections, we're grateful for our country. And we know that we're here and we have experienced prosperity because of God's blessing. And so we want to put him first. We want to pray as we head into this election season for God's will to be done and for revival to sweep our land. So you can rock some God Bless America Generation Church gear if you want to represent. Uh, you can get a sticker. You can get a yard sign. And some of you, you might put that yard sign in your yard and have some really interesting conversations with your neighbors who don't even know you're a Christian yet. Uh, but they'll find out real quick when you put that in your yard. They'll be like, oh, you're a Christian? You're like, yeah. And you can tell them about Jesus. You can invite them to church. It'll be awesome. So uh, you can also grab shirts. And uh, we're excited about this. We want to let people know that we are thankful to live in the greatest country on earth here at this church. So uh, I'm excited for that. And then I'm preaching a sermon tonight in Exodus chapter 5 titled Harder Before Better. Who's ready for harder before better? Crickets. <laughs> All right, here we go. Round four. I might have to take a water break in this service. Here we go. So the Israelites were enslaved and they were Pharaoh's free manual labor force. So you can understand that he wasn't exactly pumped when Moses showed up saying, let my people go. Here's what it says in Exodus chapter five, verse one. Moses and Aaron went and spoke to Pharaoh. They told him, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Is that so, retorted Pharaoh, and who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him and let Israel go? I don't know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. But Aaron and Moses persisted. The God of the Hebrews has met with us, they declared. So let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness so we can offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. If we don't, he will kill us with a plague or with the sword. Pharaoh replied, Moses and Aaron, why are you distracting the people from their tasks? Get back to work. Look, there are many of your people in the land and you are stopping them from their work. Okay, so let's talk about this. Moses gives the message to Pharaoh through his brother Aaron, lets him have it, and it doesn't go exactly the way they hoped it would. He says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, who is the Lord? It's very different than what Moses said when God called him. Moses said, who am I that God would use me? Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should listen to him? It's a really big difference. And there are people today who have that same kind of response when they hear the word of God. Who is the Lord of you Christians that we should listen to him? And if you have that attitude, it will go for you like it went for Pharaoh. So, I want to point out some interesting details in this passage that are very easy to pass over and miss. In verse 1, this famous line where Moses says, Thus saith the Lord, let my people go. You might not have caught this, but he did not say what God told him to say. And so it's no surprise that it didn't go the way that he hoped it would go. Let me show you the difference between what Moses said and what God told him to say. Moses said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so they may hold a festival in my honor in the wilderness. Here's what God actually told him to say. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. So please 
Say, be polite. Ask nicely. Say, please, please let us take a three-day journey, a specific amount of time into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Three days. It's not so much to ask after 400 years of slavery, is it? So then we see Moses, he says something a little different, more demanding, and he even throws in a threat that God didn't say, if you don't let us go, God's going to strike us with a sword or with plagues. I don't know why he felt the need to add that. I think he was threatening Pharaoh with the equivalent of a strike. If you don't let us go, we're not going to be able to work anyway. And so I want to point some things out in these seemingly small details that are different here. Have you ever heard the phrase, the devil is in the details? You heard that phrase? I think it's pretty true. It's the fine print that gets you in trouble. It's the terms and conditions where you click accept and you don't have time to read that, right? The the details can make the difference between doing something legally or getting convicted of a felony, it's the little, the little things, the little details. And in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the garden except for this one tree you may not eat from. The devil came along and twisted what God said subtly. Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? If you weren't paying attention, you might not catch how he twisted the details that God said. Some people will say, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't sweat the details. But in reality, it's the small stuff that makes a big difference. If you're getting surgery, you care a lot about the details of where that surgeon puts his knife. If you're getting launched on a space shuttle, you want every nut and bolt in the proper place, don't you? Moses, he demonstrates a pattern of overlooking God's details. That's why I'm emphasizing this. It's not just a one-time thing. There's a pattern. First, in previous chapters, I read about how he did not circumcise his son the way he was supposed to. Seems like a small thing, small thing, snip, snip. He didn't do it the way he was supposed to and God almost killed him for it. Then here's this time where he's not saying exactly what God told him to say. Seems like a small thing. And then later we're gonna read about in in future weeks how God told him to speak to a rock to get water out of it and Moses decided to strike the rock to get water out of it. It seems like a small thing, but that caused him to lose his opportunity to enter into the promised land. See, the devil is in the details. And I wanted to emphasize this because I think there are a lot of Christians today who lack attention to detail and that hinders their walk with God. They're they're saved, they go to church, they get the big picture, they get the gist of it, right? Like God loves me and Jesus is my savior. And if I believe in him, I'll go to heaven and I'll be forgiven. That's great, but they miss a lot of the little details and that causes them to lack fruit and they don't make progress and they miss out on peace. And some of you, maybe you, you got the big picture, but there's still a lot of devil in your details. Like maybe you caught the part about how God has forgiven you, but you missed the part about how you're supposed to repent of sin and change your ways. Or, or maybe you want Jesus to save your soul, but do you want to let him save your wallet too? You didn't like that sermon last week about tithing? I don't know. Uh, maybe you noticed the part where Jesus served you, but you missed the part where you're supposed to serve others. Or you want Jesus to change your eternity, but do you want him to change the way you express your sexuality? Let's be honest. Maybe sometimes we don't care about the details because we just don't care. We want to do it our own way. 
What little details in your life might be hindering you from experiencing God's best for your life? It's the little details, right? It's like, it's like having that little piece of metal on your finger before you have sex that turns it from sinfulness into righteousness. It's God's place in your budget. Is he in first place or third place or last place? That's the difference between worship and giving him crumbs, right? It's a four-letter word here and there that makes a difference between a sailor's mouth and a sanctified mouth. It's just a few words of gossip out of thousands. It's the second glance of lust. Idols come in all shapes and sizes, but the little idols are easier to hide. The devil's in the details. And ignorance is not an excuse for disobedience. See, some of you, you don't even know you're doing some things that are wrong because you don't know. Because you haven't searched. You haven't read. But ignorance is not an excuse for disobedience, is it? If a police officer pulls you over and is like, hey, do you know what law you just broke? You're like, no, I don't know. He's still giving you a ticket, isn't he? Because your ignorance is not an excuse for disobedience. I know some guys in the church this week, you probably spent more time setting your fantasy football lineup than you did reading the Bible. And you're like, I just didn't know that. I didn't know. Yeah, yeah, you didn't know because you didn't care. So you need to get your details in order. Don't just sit back wondering why you're not experiencing the blessing that other people do. Sometimes it's because you're not paying enough attention to the details and partial obedience is still disobedience and results in a lack of blessing. So I don't want to ask you this general question like, well, how's your life? It's too easy to give a general answer. I want to ask you a specific question like, how's your details? How are your thoughts? How's your Bible reading? Where's God in your priorities? It makes a big difference. The phrase, the devil is in the details. Think about that, the devil, right? The devil is in the details. So, so maybe we just need like a little tweak of the details. What, what if you just flip the V and the L? The devil's in the details. Deliver, deliver. So that, I like that. I see the deliverance is also in the details. It's just like some small changes, right? Some small changes. You need to understand just the big picture about Jesus to get into heaven. He is the way, the truth, and the life. If you just get that basic thing, you can get into heaven, but it's the details that get heaven into you. It's making those changes when the Holy Spirit shows you truth and convicts you of what's out of alignment that gets heaven into you. And we've all had moments where we're out of alignment. So there's no condemnation in this message. All of us have had those moments. And maybe it's through ignorance or just the fact that we're imperfect human beings. Whatever the reason is, we still have to repent of that and do what's right. Deliverance is in the details. Just two letters make all the difference. It's not what you do, D-O. It's what Jesus has done, D-O-N-E. And so I, I remember, even as I'm repenting, that I'm saved by grace, not by works. And that there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So I care about the details, but, but when I do recognize what's wrong in my life, I'm not going to carry the burden of shame because I'm not perfect. God never expected you to be perfect. He just expected you to care. He expected you to care about his word. And as you make corrections, that's part of the discipleship process Deliverance is in the details. It's why Jesus fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies about the details of his lineage and where he'd be born and what he would look like and what he would do and how he would die and where he'd be buried and how he would rise again because God cares about the details. So I want to both obsess over the details and rest in God's grace. I want to care about everything God said, 
all the details. And at the same time, I'm going to recognize I'm going to mess up a lot. And so I got to rest in God's grace. Pastor Ryan, how do you obsess and rest at the same time? That's a good question. Let me know if you figure it out. In seriousness, it's I care about God's word. I'm paying attention to his commands, but I'm not doing this to show I'm worthy. I'm doing it to show that I'm grateful. I'm not doing it to earn salvation. I'm doing it because I've been saved. Okay, so Moses, he gets back on track and you'll, you'll read if you kind of look back at that passage that he tried again after Pharaoh's first retort. And the second time he said something closer to what God told him to say, that's good. And so what do you think happened when he stopped doing it his own way and he started doing it God's way? You know what happened? His situation got much worse. That's what happened. That's exactly what you would expect, right? His situation got harder. It got worse. And I think a lot of you have been at that place before where you try your very best to do everything right. You say, I'm going to do it by the book and life gets worse. And in that moment, you can find yourself thinking, what's wrong? What's wrong with me? What's, what's wrong with, with my work, with my effort? I, I want to be blessed. Where is my blessing? I'm waiting. Lord, is it on layover? What, what do I got to do? I, I want to encourage you in that. If you're experiencing that, you're not the first person. In Exodus 5, it goes on to say, That same day, Pharaoh sent this order to the Egyptian slave drivers and Israelite foremen. Do not supply any more straw for making bricks. Make the people get it themselves, but still require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That's why they're crying out. Let us go and offer sacrifices to our God. Load them down with more work. Make them sweat. That will teach them to listen to lies. So the people scattered throughout the land of Egypt in search of stubble to use a straw. So I'll talk more about this in a second, but the gist of it is they would mix the straw into the mud and make bricks. Uh, and Pharaoh had them building cities. The straw would provide structural integrity for the bricks as they were formed. Kind of like if you pour concrete today, there's rebar that provides structural integrity. So it helped them when Pharaoh took away the straw but held them to the same quota. He created an impossible task for them. And he was essentially trying to oppress them back into submission. Okay, so... There's a lot of people, they become Christians and they expect that life is going to be better than ever. And I think it will be, but I've got some tough news for you tonight. <laughs> expect your life to get harder before it gets better. Can I get an amen? <laughs> no one's excited about this part. No one's amening this part, but it's what we need to hear. Don't expect that following Jesus will make your life more comfortable. In reality, God will call you out of your comfort zone and take you right into the danger zone. <laughs> it's, it's not going to make life easier when you stop going with the cultural flow. When you go with the cultural flow and you do everything that your coworkers do, and you put your, your pride flag on display, and you put your pronouns in your bio, right? Uh, it'll be real easy for you, but it won't be better. It's when the Hebrew people started going against the flow. That's when Pharaoh increased their workload. And I, I think the Hebrew people were familiar with the routine that they had going. It's interesting if you talk to someone who's been in prison, 
there's a certain type of comfort that comes from knowing exactly what to expect each day. And I've talked to people, they come out of prison and they're always happy to be free, but they'll tell you that in some ways it's scarier to be free. When you're in prison, you know exactly when you're going to wake up and what's going to happen each day and where your food's going to come from. And then when these guys get reintegrated into society, sometimes it's a struggle to deal with the unexpected day-in, day-out circumstances that come their way. So you have to decide spiritually, would you rather live comfortable as a slave or uncomfortable as a free man? Some of you, your life before you found Jesus was really hard, and I'm not denying that. But if you're being honest, a lot of the hardship was the result of your own sinful choices. It's not until you start following Jesus that you start to experience external spiritual opposition that comes from the enemy. So don't be surprised when the enemy doesn't cooperate with your new relationship in Jesus and all these things you're excited about experiencing. He's going to fight against you. Before you accepted Jesus, the devil didn't really need to fight against you. Do you realize that? Why? Because you were already on his side. Some of you are like, no, I wasn't. I was not on the devil's side. Yes, you were. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know what he said? Your father is the devil. Before you became a child of God, spiritually, you were a child of the devil. And so no wonder he didn't have to attack you because he had you right where he wanted you. It's when you became a Christian that you became a threat to hell. Some Christians aren't a threat to hell, though. Some Christians functionally might as well call themselves Switzerland because they're neutral. <laughs> might be saved and go into heaven, but they don't do a lot other than talk. So they also don't experience a lot of supernatural spiritual attack. It's when you actually do what Jesus said to do and you actually start to build the church rather than just benefit from the church and you actually start to tell people about Jesus rather than live as an undercover secret agent Christian, that's when the enemy starts to attack you. So if the devil is attacking you and you're experiencing supernatural warfare, don't think that that means God has abandoned you. It just means you become a bigger threat to hell. Don't be surprised if life gets harder before it gets better because the enemy will come and start to fill your head with doubt and maybe you'll experience a setback or a tragedy and you'll wonder, is God really good? Or you'll get mocking abuse from friends and family and maybe you start to question like, what did I sign up for here when I became a Christian? Maybe you'll even think, I was doing just fine before Jesus, but you weren't. You were just experiencing the false comfort of slavery. I think every day with Jesus is better than the day before, but sometimes life feels harder before it looks better. So all of God's people have to journey through harder on the way to better. And a lot of times the greatest opposition comes from within, within our own house, our own hearts, our own church, our own family. I want to just briefly talk about six ways you might experience harder. There's first the emotional roller coaster of following Jesus, right? When you first accept Jesus, you experience that emotional high. Yay! I'm going to heaven. I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. This is awesome. And then eventually you go through hardship and you experience the emotional low. 
And sometimes even worse than misery is just mundane. Just normal can be the hardest. And you find yourself longing for that emotional high, wondering why you don't feel the way you used to feel. Imagine the Hebrew people, right? They're enslaved and Moses shows up and says, God's gonna set you free. And they're thinking, yay! It's like a Hebrew rave, you know? They're just like, come on, right? And then like the next day, Pharaoh takes away their straw and makes their workload harder. And they're like, what? Emotional roller coaster. When you don't feel like following Jesus, just keep being faithful. You don't have to worry about chasing after those feelings. Just be faithful and the feelings will follow. Another hardship is financial setback. Let's be honest. Financial setback is hard. And in a few weeks, you're going to read about this where the newly freed Israelites, they worry about having enough food to eat. And they start to long for nostalgically the predictability of their slave rations. Remember when we were in Egypt and we used to get those square meals every day? Those were the good old days. Because they were worried about having enough when in reality God was going to provide. And I think about last week we had a message about tithing and there's a lot of people, you know, they're like, yeah, I'm going to do that. That's important. I want to do that. And sometimes when you put God first in your finances, you immediately get a spiritual blessing or a financial blessing. And that's awesome. And other times I've seen people where, you know what they get? They get a car breakdown. <laughs> they get an unexpected bill and, and they're, they're shocked. They're like, well, wait, 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 wait. This is not what I signed up for. I thought that God was just going to make it rain. What is happening here? It's hard to trust God when you experience that. You start to question things. Another uh, type of hardship is distraction, just distraction in general. It's real. It's one of the enemy's chief tactics. It's what the Hebrew people dealt with. Let me explain, explain this a little bit more with the straw and the stubble. When the Israelites had to make bricks, what normally happened is the Egyptians would come and give them straw. This was the long part of the crop. It was unedible, and they would use it to mix into the mud, and they'd stomp it into the mud, and they'd form bricks with it. And so what Pharaoh did was he said, take away their straw. We're not going to give them the supplies they need to do the work that we have called them to do. He said they can go out on their own time and gather stubble. This is stubble from a field that's already been harvested. And if you've ever seen a field like this, I grew up in Kansas. I saw a lot of fields like this. Uh, it's just like a little tiny piece uh, left in the ground where they've already cut the crops. And all that's left is this hard, pokey stubble. Like if you walk through a field like that, you're just as likely to puncture your foot on the hard, pokey stubble, right? So now the Hebrew people, they have to go out in what used to be their free time when they got off work and they had a moment to rest, now they have to go out and gather stubble. I think they're, you know, pocket knife out there, like snipping stubble to build bricks and cities for Pharaoh. And so he was trying to distract them with extra work so they would forget about this freedom that God was calling them to. And, you know, the enemy today, he, he will still try to distract you from doing what God's called you to do with busy work. And whatever, with whatever he can distract you with. Like maybe recently the Holy Spirit has convicted you, like, hey, you need to get engaged. You need to be a part of this church. 
You need to join a life crew. You need to serve. And you, and you said, yeah, yeah, I need to do that. I want to do that. And then something came up. Isn't it crazy how something always comes up? Someone got sick in your family. Work got busy. Or work gave you a new opportunity. And you got to take advantage of that opportunity. So church is going to have to wait. Serving Jesus is going to have to wait. Or maybe your kids, they wanted to sign up for another extracurricular activity. Those extracurricular activities, right? You know, parents, there is a very small chance that your child will ever become a professional athlete. But there is a 100% certainty that your kid will stand before Jesus someday. Just remember that when you're prioritizing your schedule for your family. Distractions. Distractions can keep you from God's best. Maybe you're single. We got Christian singles in the room today. Raise your hand. Come on, you know, be proud. I'm trying to help you right now. You should be looking around. You should be taking notes. Like, oh yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up, right? Like, so, so maybe you, you're like, I want to marry a man of God. I want to marry a woman of God. So you're on Christian Mingle. You're looking for Mr. Right. You're looking for Mrs. Right. You think you found her. You think you found your Ruth. Turns out she's just Delilah. Ooh. But Delilah can be distracting because Delilah can sometimes pull your attention away from where God wants it to be. Or maybe you're a woman, you're looking for Mr. Right. You think you found yourself a Boaz, but he's just distracting your ass. You only get that joke if you read the Bible. You're like, I don't have time to read the Bible. I'm too busy binge watching another season on Netflix, right? Distraction. Distraction. Then we deal with critics or haters, as the kids say. And that's what Pharaoh did. He said, you're lazy. I mean, imagine that, right? These slaves, they've been enslaved for 400 years, as far as we know, getting no days off. And Pharaoh calls them lazy for wanting to go out and take a three-day weekend to worship God. I mean, that's like character assassination. And, and you know what Pharaoh said? He said that Moses and Aaron were lying. He called them liars because they told the people what God said. This is something you still deal with today. If you follow Jesus, people will criticize you and hate on you. If you stand on the word of God, they'll call you a liar. Say so you're ignorant. You believe the Bible? That, that was all just made up by men and it's been all mistranslated and blah, blah, blah. They'll say, oh, you're a Christian? You're a bigot. Why can't you just... Let people love who they want to love. Why are you trying to control women's bodies? Like, you're like I'm not trying to control. I'm not, I'm not a hater. I'm just, I'm just telling you what God said. Uh, you're just a hate. You're just prejudiced. Right? And then they'll like assassinate your care. I worry about you. I worry about you because it's hard to deal with that. I'm used to it now. But, but you're, it's hard. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 5. He said, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you're my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember the ancient prophets like Moses were persecuted in the same way. So people will message me sometimes. They'll be like, Pastor Ryan, I'm getting a lot of hate. I shared one of your posts and whew, like all my friends from high school are hating on me. What should I do? I'll tell them, here's what Jesus said you should do. Be very very glad. Because if they're hating on you, it means that you remind them of Jesus. And a great reward awaits you in heaven. If you want to be liked by everyone, don't follow Jesus. 
Just sell ice cream. <laughs> Even now, people won't like you because you don't have a dairy-free option. They'll still be mad, right? If you follow Jesus, you're going to deal with critics, and then also you'll deal with disappointments. Disappointments are real, and they hurt sometimes. Like maybe you have a big dream, and it crumbles before your eyes, and you thought it came from God, but it turns out it's dead. It's over. Or you have a marriage that you're all in, and you're committed, but the other person wasn't, and so they left, and now it's ended in divorce, and it's disappointment. Or maybe you tried to raise your kids in church, but they're running from God, and you tried everything you could do, but they're not living the way you dreamed they would live, and you prayed for them to live, and it's disappointing. Or you prayed for someone to be healed, and instead they died, and it's disappointing. And in those moments, it's hard. It doesn't really feel better. It's just harder. And, and that really trips a lot of people up. A lot of people, they get stuck on the way to better, because disappointment causes them to just get trapped and they become bitter. You don't want to get trapped in bitter. You want to keep going towards better, right? You got to just understand disappointment, that's a part of life. And then lastly, division. Christians are really good at dividing over silly secondary issues and personal preferences. There are some things you have to divide over. You know, if you're a part of a church and they get up and they start preaching heresy and they're like, man, there are many ways to God. That's time to leave. But I've seen people leave church because they didn't like the color a wall got painted. I've seen people leave church because they didn't like those songs. They wanted these songs. I've seen people leave a church and divide because yeah, I've got my favorite translation of the Bible and you've got your favorite translation of the Bible and we're going to argue about which one is better. I'll tell you which one I think is better for you. It's whichever one you'll actually read. That's my favorite, That's my favorite for you. If you want to read the King James Version, hark, peace be unto you. If you want to read, I mean, seriously, just read something. There was temptation to divide now, just like there was then, and we experienced that today. In Exodus 5.21, the foreman said to Moses and Aaron, the foreman were Hebrews. That was God's own people. That was Moses' own people right there. They said to Moses and Aaron, may the Lord judge and punish you for making us stink before Pharaoh and his officials. You put a sword into their hands, an excuse to kill us. In chapter 6, it says they stopped listening to Moses and Aaron because... Their situation had gotten harder. There was division among God's people. And the, the enemy, uh, the devil, he is still trying to divide us today. You see it all over the internet. Christians sniping at Christians and arguing with other Christians and attacking other Christians. See, what happens is that the devil knows he cannot get you into hell. So he tries to get hell into you. He knows he can't stop the church of Jesus Christ. So he tries to get us to stop ourselves by fighting among ourselves. Jesus said to pray for it to be on earth as it is in heaven. And I think that's interesting. The way that we do that is by pursuing unity and living in harmony. That's how we bring heaven to earth as God's people is we live in unity with one another. It says in 1 Corinthians 1. I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. Okay, so what does that mean? It does not mean we have to be a bunch of lemmings, like we're in a cult and all think the exact same thing about everything. You can still be an individual. God made you an individual. He gave you unique gifts and passions 
That's okay. But there's a difference between being an individual and having a spirit of independence. An independent spirit basically says, I don't care, really care what y'all are doing. I'm going to do my own thing. Rebellion and division always starts with a spirit of independence. This is important for us as Americans. God bless America. It's a problem for us, especially. If you go visit churches in Eastern cultures, a lot of churches in South America, you'll find people are a lot more unified in general. In America, we value our spirit of independence. I mean, after all, we got our start by rebelling against the authority of a king in another country. So we love the rebel. We love independence. And that can sometimes hinder us from experiencing God's best. And so here's how it looks. It's an independent spirit. It's not outright division, but it's saying, I'm going to do my own thing. I see this in church, you know, sometimes where it's like, I don't really like that song, so I'm not going to sing it in silent protest. <laughs> like Pastor Ryan said, we're going to have a season of prayer and fasting, but no, I'm not really doing that. I'm just going to do my own thing. It's an, it's an independent spirit. It's like, you can't tell me what to do. It's like, you're right. I, I can't tell you what to do. I mean, but why, why do you want to do your own thing? Why don't you want to live in harmony with one another? As much as possible, we should try to, to act as one and speak as one and work as one because together we're more powerful. We're more effective. And God blesses unity. So that means as much as possible, we want to stay united. We don't want to be divided. And when we go through these hard types of seasons, hardship, whether it's, you know, emotional roller coasters, financial setbacks, distraction, critics, disappointments, division, in those moments, we can start to question God's love and his goodness. And if you've been there before, you're not the only one. Moses had the same type of reaction. In verse 22, it says, Then Moses went back to the Lord and protested, Why have you brought all this trouble on your people, Lord? Why did you send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh as your spokesman, he's been even more brutal to your people. And look what he says. And you have done nothing to rescue them. But let's remember, God told Moses back in chapter 3 that Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. I don't know what he was expecting, but apparently it wasn't delay or setback or opposition. I don't know what Moses thought. I thought it would just get better. I didn't expect harder. Yet that's what a lot of Christians think when they follow Jesus and they experience hardship. Like, what's, what's going on here? Jesus told you this would happen, just like God told Moses this would happen. In John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Well, what were these things? If you read that chapter, you'll see these things, it was a bunch of bad news. <laughs> Jesus gave him a bunch of bad news. Okay, you guys. Here's what's going to happen. Um, it's going to get harder before it gets better. And I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You can have peace even in the middle of the storm. Jesus said this, in this world you will have trouble. Every time you go through a hard season and you face trouble, you can just think to yourself, Jesus told me this would happen. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. So yeah, it's harder now, but it's going to get better. Yeah. And you're experiencing a setback, but victory is coming. Jesus has overcome the world. Yeah. 
The sad news is that not everyone's going to make it. And God told us that. I mean, that's just the way it goes. Not everyone who starts the journey will make it. When I was going through officer training course in the Army, I started my class with 40 guys. And when we got to graduation, there was only 15 left. And as a pastor, I've seen a lot of people raise their hands for salvation and take home a Bible. And not all of those people are walking with Jesus today. Not everyone's going to make it. Why is that? Well, Jesus told us a story about this. He told a parable called the parable of the sower. And in ancient times, when farmers would plant uh, their crops, what they would do is they, they wouldn't go along and plant, you know, each individual seed with tender care. They would just scatter the crops. They just walk along. That's what I would have done. I would just walk along and was like, scatter these crops, right? Like, let the seed fall where it may. Okay, so the parable of the sower, Jesus tells, a farmer went out to plant his field and he scattered seed and some seed fell on the footpath. You might think of it as a sidewalk. And birds came along and they stole the seed. Some seed fell in the gravel, in the rocky soil, and it sprang up quickly, but when the sun came out, it scorched the plant because the plant had no roots. And some seed fell among the thorns. It grew, but the thorns choked out the seed, and so it could produce no fruit. And then some seed fell in the good soil, and it produced a crop 30 times, 60 times, or 100 times. And so Jesus told this parable, and the disciples, they were there taking notes like good disciples, and they were like, wow, wow. Um, what does that mean? <laughs> kind of like you feel during a lot of my sermons. They're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so Jesus, he's like, I'm going to explain it to you. And this is one of the times Jesus actually just broke down and explained the parable. So there's no mystery here. He says this, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? I mean, Wow. Savage, right? Jesus is saying, like, I'm, I'm preaching better than your understanding. You guys are hopeless. Here's what he says. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain to you. The farmer sows the word. And so the word is the good news, the gospel. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among the thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. Okay, so here's the response. You hear this parable, and the intended response is that all of us as listeners would say, what kind of soil is in my heart? Okay, so what kind of soil is in your heart? So I, I've seen all kinds. I've seen all kinds. I've seen, I've seen the hard soil that, that can't be penetrated. I, I, I've preached sermons before, and I've seen some real angry faces, and they're like, nope. <laughs> no, I'm not having any of this. And it, does, it just doesn't get in. 
Or maybe Satan comes along like a bird, caca, with a little lie, and he snatches the seed away, and he's like, you can't listen to anything this guy says. Of course he says that. You can't trust him. Like, oh, there's all kinds of ways to heaven. You can't believe the Bible. You know, so there's, there's that. Then there, there are the seed that's sown in the, the rocky, gravelly soil, the rocky soil, right? And, and so we understand this in Arizona because a lot of us, our front yards are just gravel. <laughs> And uh, yet, <laughs> things still grow in that gravel, don't they? Maybe you've been out weeding in the sun before, and, and you plucked it out real easy because it has no roots or very shallow roots. Uh, and so Jesus says this is a lot of people. They, they hear the good news, and they're like, that's cool. I like that. I'm in. I'm in. Let's go. But they never develop roots. So as soon as hardship comes, persecution, right, they just quickly, they wither up and they die. They just, they spiritually just fade away, they die. And I've seen that happen. And then here's another one. I think this is the majority of what Christians struggle with is some seed gets sown among the thorns. And so you'll notice that seed, it does spring to life, but it gets choked out by the worries of this world or the deceitfulness of wealth or other things. What are other things? It could be a lot of things. It could be video games. It could be something with curves. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but people, they get, they get distracted by the worries of this world. Like, man, what's going on in this world? I don't have time to get involved in church because if I do, I won't have enough time for me. I don't have time to, to be following Jesus and telling people about Jesus. I got to go build my doomsday bunker. <laughs> you know, like I can't give to the kingdom of God because then I won't have enough for me. I'm worried. I watch a lot of news. I'm worried. I'm worried. Or they chase out. So whatever it is, it could be a lot of things, but it chokes them out. Maybe they are spiritually alive, but they're not fruitful. And I don't know if you've picked up on this or not, but Jesus expects results, it's not good enough just to live. He wants you to live a fruitful life, a life that produces results. It's true. And then there are some people, they hear the word and they produce a multiplying, fruitful harvest 30 times, 60 times, 100 times what was originally sown. And, and here's the truth. The majority of the results in the kingdom of God are produced by a, min a minority of believers. A, min a minority of believers produce the majority of the results. And those people are the ones who get the reward in the kingdom of God. They're rewarded for their effort. I think this church could be a whole church filled with people who have good soil in their hearts. Amen. I think it's possible. We could all be that kind of person. Let other people at other churches be the rocky soil. Like we want to all be good soil, right? Like that's, that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that we would all have good soil in our hearts. I don't want you to be like the seed sown in the rocky soil that withers under the sun. I don't want you to be like that. But the truth is, you know, the majority of the people in this world who hear the good news, they will not receive it. That's why the, the highway to hell is broad. But heaven only needs a stairway. It tells you something about the anticipated traffic flow. The majority of the people aren't going to make it, but, but you will. That's my prayer for you is you will and your life will be fruitful. Okay, so let's get practical. How do you develop good soil in your heart? You can actually affect the kind of soil in your heart through your actions and your posture. 
I think it comes down to these three things. Good soil is watered with the love of God and you experience the love of God through the son of God. Jesus is the living water. Have you ever seen the difference in dirt from before it rains to after it rains? Before it's hard to penetrate, after it's soft and malleable. Here's what it says in Ephesians 3. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. It's connection to the love of God that makes you strong and healthy and vibrant. And you experience the love of God through the Son of God, through Jesus Christ and faith in him. That softens the soil of your heart. It transforms a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. So you gotta know Jesus first. Second, good soil is plowed by the word of God. You need to know the word of God, that's the Bible. In Hebrews four, it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. So have you ever seen a plow go through the dirt? As it penetrates through the dirt, it turns over the soil. And it penetrates through and it turns over the soil. And as it does that, all kinds of stuff comes up. The soil is softened, it's prepared for seed, but also rocks come up and all kinds of stuff that has to get chucked out of the field. That's what happens as you read the word of God. All kinds of false thinking and and, and deceptive ideologies are exposed in you. Things that come up, you're like, man, I didn't even know that I was so deceived before I read the truth. Now I know I used to be crazy. All kinds of stuff was exposed. And then third, good soil is purified by the spirit of God. You get the Holy Spirit as a Christian. Here's what it says in Galatians 5. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. I think that's a funny sentence. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. It says the sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So, man, if you don't want your new life in Jesus to be choked out by thorns, you need some Holy Spirit Roundup (laughs) spraying on the good soil. And he comes along and the Holy Spirit's like, nope, that's sinful. And he plucks the weeds out, like, get rid of that. Like, nope, those are thorns. Whoop, pull that out, get rid of that. I'm gonna keep the soil pure in your heart so you can produce a harvest of multiplication for the Lord. If you wanna survive the struggle and cultivate fruit, you gotta work that field. And if you do, you'll have roots that grow down deep that allows you to survive the hard seasons and that will eventually lead to a harvest season. Uh, Hard seasons will come. I wish that wasn't true, but it is. You're either in one or you're heading towards one. And if you're not in one right now, celebrate that. I mean, that's great. Enjoy it while it lasts. But get ready for the next one that's coming. It'll come. Hard seasons come. You always experience harder before better. I think about our church. It's healthy and it's growing and it's loving. I'm biased. I know I'm biased, but I think it's the best church I've ever seen. It's just so loving and growing. And you're a part of that. You're a part of the reason for that. It's because of what God's doing in you and the kind of character he's developing in you as people. Uh, But there was a lot of years of harder before we got to better. You know what I'm saying? And your marriage, a lot of you have good marriages now, but there was a lot of harder before it got better. 
We love our daughter. We got an amazing, beautiful daughter, but there was a lot of harder from the time we started trying to have kids before we got to better, although I didn't mind trying along the way. And then... I mean, come on. My wife's blushing. You know, we have a little game. I try to make her blush when I'm preaching without saying anything too inappropriate. You're going to go through that, but those struggles don't have to sink you. And disappointments don't have to destroy you. If you stay rooted in the love of God, he will sustain you and he will use your struggles to strengthen you. That's what it talks about in James chapter 1. It says this in James 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. This is one of those passages that uh, it's great to read, um, it's really hard to do. Consider it pure joy when you face many types of trials. <laughs> Amen, pastor. Amen. Mm, yes. But when the trials actually come, I'm like, mm, no, no. I mean, think about uh, the Hebrew people working those mud pits to develop bricks to build Pharaoh's cities. And then they get this news, I'm gonna be set free. And next thing they know, now they have to go out and gather stubble on their free time. And now they're stomping that pokey hard stubble into the mud, working it. In that moment, I bet it wasn't super easy to feel joy. In that moment, you're thinking, what is happening? My life was hard enough as it was. I mean, I don't think there were a lot of Hebrews in those mud pits like, this is great. You guys, we're going to have so much perseverance after this. I am becoming so mature right now. Praise God. <laughs> it's amazing. If you were next to that guy, you'd be like, shut up. I'm sick of you. You're just stomping in the mud. Like, you're going to get a lot of mud on you before you experience freedom. And I think about those Hebrews right there working that mud, feet getting sore, poked, and bloody, and muddy. But you know what? God was developing calluses on those feet. Calluses they would need as they were walking in the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And you start to understand how trials develop perseverance perseverance leads to maturity and completeness and and you don't lack even though you feel like you lack because you know you have what you need in Christ Jesus even as you suffer it says the more we suffer for Christ the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ yeah I'm in the middle of a hard season right now but God is close to the brokenhearted and I know I'm looking forward to deliverance and sometimes there's a delay before deliverance like with the Hebrews experience, but be encouraged in this, that delayed deliverance, it just means greater victory. When victory does come, it's gonna be that much sweeter. I know you're waiting and you're waiting and sometimes you're still waiting, but when victory comes, think about how great the celebration's gonna be. A lot of times your life with Christ is like getting loaded up into a slingshot. You know, it's like you accept Jesus and you're like, this is awesome, let's go God. And he's like, oh, I'm gonna let you go through a hard season first. And you're like, okay. And you're like, but it's going to be really good when we eventually get to the promised land. And you're like, yeah, before that, God says, uh, you're going to deal with some more disappointments. 
and you're gonna pray for some people and it doesn't work out the way you wanted it to. And, and you're, gonna, you're gonna ask for healing, but you're not gonna get it. And the person you thought you could count on is gonna break your heart and you're thinking, God, this pressure is more than I can take. But sometimes God lets the pressure build up stronger, harder, because he wants to send you farther. And, and that delayed deliverance, it just means that when he eventually launches you, the victory is gonna be that much greater. You experience a lot of heartbreak now, that just means later the breakthrough is gonna be that much greater. The disappointment you go through now just means later the celebration party is gonna be that much louder. It says in Psalms that those who sow with tears of sorrow will harvest with shouts of joy. I know it's hard now, but just think about how much sweeter the victory will be when it finally comes. So you just keep rooted in the love of God, keep walking with Jesus, keep trusting in his promises and know that it's coming. Victory is coming, deliverance is coming, better is coming. We know we have that promise. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads. And at first I wanna just pray for you. If you are going through a hard season, I know that's real, I know it's stressful, I know it can cause a lot of sorrow and sometimes even doubt. So let me just pray for you first. God, you know the people in this church family who are struggling right now, those who are going through a hard time of disappointment or criticism, of division or setbacks or emotional ups and downs. I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would comfort them, that you would fill their hearts with joy and that you would protect their minds with peace. God, I pray that you would show them love in a new way that would strengthen them and, and that their roots would grow down into your love, that you would keep them and hold them, that they would remain anchored to Jesus in the storm, Lord. We thank you for the hope we have in your promises. We can trust you in every situation. And then I wanna just take a moment. If you're here at church or you're online right now and you need to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you hear the good news that Jesus is the way to be saved and you want to accept that, you want to experience new life in Jesus, maybe right now you're convicted of the fact, yes, I have sins and I need forgiveness. The way to experience that is through faith in Jesus. So if that's you, then I want to just lead you in a prayer right now wherever you're at, just pray this with me. If you mean it and you, you really say this, you mean it, God will respond to it. So just pray this, just say, God, I ask you to save me. And I admit that I have sinned and I've broken your commands. And so I'm asking for forgiveness today. I'm putting all my trust in Jesus. I believe that he is the son of God and the savior of the world. And so I'm asking Jesus to save me. Just like the Bible says, I believe that he died on the cross for my sins so I can be forgiven. I believe he rose again so I can have new life. And I thank you for loving me all of my life. I'm asking you now to lead me for the rest of my life. And I'm committing myself to follow you to the best of my ability in Jesus name. Let's keep our heads bowed one second. If you just prayed that prayer to accept Jesus right now between you and God, raise your hand up, raise your hand up. If you just prayed that prayer, you're like, I just accepted Jesus. That's great, thank you. Anyone else? We're just gonna bring you a Bible. We're not gonna embarrass you. That's awesome, right here. We got one, that's so good. Anybody else? Thank you, that's so good. You accepted Jesus. You can just raise your hand up. We got another person, that's awesome. That's great. We got a little guy over here. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Hey church, let's stand to our feet. We're gonna worship the Lord. We're gonna celebrate our victory. We're gonna celebrate baptism. Let's give God praise for the victory that we experienced. Come on.